The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So this morning I'd like to continue exploring these states of mind that tend to get in the way of our concentration. The last few weeks that I've been here, I've been exploring these um, qualities called the hindrances. And just as a little bit of an overview, or a refresher, since it's been a while, um, the hindrances are typically, are called hindrances typically because they tend to be states of mind that do get in the way of our ability to settle our mind, to unify our mind, to stabilize our mind in the present moment. It's said that they are the uh, states of mind that hinder right concentration. They are hindrances in that they generally um, are states that are challenging for us to be present with. And when we are lost in them, um, pulled into their, their terrain, we tend to not be able to be stabilized. Our minds get scattered, they get agitated. So these hindrances, there's five, and the hindrances are um, sense desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness, and doubt. So when we, when we are uh, pulled into those states, we tend to have trouble stabilizing our minds in the present moment. If we are either whether we're doing the kind of concentration practice that is focusing our attention on a single experience like the breath, we're tending to, if we are trying to cultivate a stability of mind around the breathing, if ill will arises, we get pulled away from the breath. We start thinking about what we're angry or frustrated about. If sleepiness or dullness arises, we tend to just drift off and not be able to stay connected with the breath. So likewise, with all of these energies, they tend to make it difficult for us to stay with that experience of the breath. In... um, a more open style of meditation practice, which is the style I was guiding you in this morning, and not necessarily hanging on to that anchor of attention, but seeing if we can stabilize, settle the mind in a flow of experience. Still these energies pull us away from that ability to stay with that flow. We can be aware of sound, and then we can be aware of a body sensation, and then we notice the body sensation is a pain, and then we get angry about the pain, and we start thinking about the pain, and we are lost. That's a a manifestation of ill will around the experience that's arising in the present moment. Now, if in that flow of experience you can recognize, okay, there's the sound, there's the there's an experience of pain in the knee and recognize the burning or the aching and then recognize a rising of the energy of not liking. Just recognize the not liking is happening. That is not serving as a hindrance at that point. If you can be aware, oh, not liking is happening. That's being aware in the present moment of the flow of experience, which includes the arising of not liking. So the hindrances in, um, are actually in the uh, kind of more directed concentration. The hindrances uh, are more, um, uh, they're more forces that we have to navigate and work with to be able to come back to our experience of the present moment through that object of the breath. In our more open practice, when we can become mindful of these hindrances, they no longer are hindrances. They are no longer hindering our ability to be in the present moment if we can be aware of them as experiences in the present moment. So in the Satipatthana Sutta, the Buddha's instructions, the main instructions on mindfulness meditation, the Buddha actually includes the hindrances as objects to be aware of. 
So I'll read a little bit of this to you, and I'll, I'll read it um, with respect to the main hindrance I'd like to explore today, which is sloth and torpor. So the contemplation of the hindrances as objects of meditation comes under the fourth foundation of mindfulness, mindfulness of dhammas, phenomena. And I like to think of this fourth foundation of mindfulness as being um, kind of perspectives of whatever's arising in the present moment. We kind of look at our experience through the perspective of these dhammas. So there are, there are a bunch of different lists that the Buddha suggests we kind of orient our attention towards the present moment through the perspective of these lists. He says, you know, pay attention to the present moment of experience through this perspective of hindrances or through the perspective of mind and body or through the perspective of um, um, the five aggregates or the perspective of... um, the seven factors of awakening, or the perspective of the Four Noble Truths. And I won't go into all of those, but I'll, I'll um, talk about what it would mean to look at any moment of our experience from the perspective of whether the hindrances are arising or not. So the, the statement here is, how does one abide contemplating mind objects as mind objects? And this is the translation of... Um, the fourth foundation here. We could say, how does one abide contemplating phenomena as phenomena? And this is here, one abides contemplating phenomena as phenomena in terms of the five hindrances. So he's suggesting this kind of perspective. We look at our experience of what's happening in the present moment in terms of hindrances. And how does one abide contemplating Phenomena as phenomena in terms of the five hindrances. There being sloth and torpor in one. He goes through all five hindrances here, but I'm going to read it with respect to to sloth and torpor. There being sloth and torpor, one understands there is sloth and torpor in me. Sloth and torpor basically meaning dullness, sleepiness. So there being sloth and torpor, one understands there's sloth and torpor. So that simple mindfulness of the, the hindrance. Sloth and tor- sleepiness is arising. Can I be mindful of sleepiness? And I'll talk more about that in just a few minutes. Or, there be n- or if there is no sloth and torpor, one knows there is no sloth and torpor arising. Or one understands how there comes to be the arising of sloth and torpor. So essentially looking at the causes and conditions. What are the conditions that lead one to have that state of mind arise? And I'll try to go through these in more detail as we we, uh, go through how to work with this. Or one understands how one abandons sloth and torpor that has arisen. Or one understands how there comes to be, and this is an odd one, sounds odd, the future non-arising of sloth and torpor. So I will uh, go through this. But to me, the, the kind of the perspective here around this, we could take any moment of our experience through just this single lens of is sloth and torpor present or not? In any moment of experience, that will be true. Either it will be present or it won't be present. And so the, the exploration of mindfulness through, in terms of the hindrances is to recognize are they present or are they absent? Simple. Are they present or are they absent? We can know this hindrance is not present in me. Sloth and torpor is not present in me. Ill will is not present in me. Or we can know desire is present. Restlessness is present. So that simple lens of is this 
hindrance present or absent. The Buddha recommends this. He doesn't say when sloth and torpor arises in one, uh, judge yourself and try to get rid of it. He says, be aware of it. Notice the conditions that lead to its arising. Notice the conditions that lead to its not arising. As the mind begins to understand this, as the mind begins to understand how sloth and torpor is put together, it begins to either be able to be aware of it when it's arising and not have it function as a hindrance, or it it begins to be able to let it go. And there are definitely times in our lives that sloth and torpor will be present just simply because the body hasn't had enough sleep, right? I mean, we can't always um, get rid of sleepiness. Sometimes the way towards the non-arising of sleepiness is to take a nap, you know, so, so we, we need to learn some discernment around this. So a little bit more about sloth and torpor, kind of more from my perspective of how I've worked with it, what I've understood about it, and my encouragement to you to work with it, to explore it in mindfulness. That's my first approach when I have sloth and torpor, rather than having this idea that this is a problem, I see, can mindfulness be present with this state of mind? Can I be aware of this sleepiness or dullness? Can that be possible? So that's my first approach before I start trying to use antidotes, before I start trying to do something to rouse energy, which is one of the ways to work with it. If, if energy is low, we can notice that there are some conditions that might support the arousing of energy. My first approach with most of these hindrances is, can I be mindful of it? It's the first thing he suggests in the Satipatthana Sutta. Notice it's present. So can, is that possible? Can, can we do that? So sloth and torpor has two basic sides to it. It's got this, the, the, basically the sleepy side where the mind is, is uh, falling into sleep. Or there's a, there's a side of, that's the sloth aspect. The word sloth. Uh, and then the torpor aspect is kind of a thick, dull, uh, dull mind. Not necessarily sleepy, but just kind of unwieldy. So they're, they're just two slightly different states that are encompassed by this hindrance of Sloth and torpor. And the Buddha used an analogy for, uh, he had two analogies for sloth and torpor. One is that um, if you have a bowl of water or a pond in which you're uh, trying to use it to see a ref- your reflection, he offers analogies for each of these five hindrances around this body of water. And with sloth and torpor, he says, it's as if there's algae growing on the surface of the water. So there's, you know, just this clogged space. And you can't see your reflection. Another analogy he uses is, um, he says that sloth and torpor is kind of like being in prison. You know, when the mind is caught in sloth and torpor, it... uh, that is not able to be mindful of it, just kind of stuck in it, it's like we don't have a lot of choice about um, what we do with our minds. It's like that we're in this small enclosed space. We can't break out of it. And that's kind of the feeling in sloth and torpor, that kind of the mind feels constricted and heavy. So one of the main issues with sloth and torpor, at least in my experience, has been this idea or belief, I'm too sleepy to meditate. (laughs) How many of you have had that? (laughs) So what I'd like to propose is that if you can have that thought, if you recognize that thought, I'm too sleepy to meditate, 
You have already been aware of, you've been mindful, you've already been aware of sleepiness. And you may, just hold the question, you may actually have enough mindfulness to notice the sleepy state itself. A lot of our difficulty around sleepiness in meditation is that we resist it. Now, if we, you know, we think, what our, what our mind tells us is, if I don't resist this sleepiness, I'll just be doing that all day. You know, I'll just, I won't be able to be mindful at all. So this is worth checking into. Is it true? Is it true that if we turn our attention to that sleepy state, we just fall asleep? So with the, with the resistance to sleepiness, one of the things to kind of explore, too, is to notice when we resist sleepiness in meditation, the experience tends to be really unpleasant. Is that, is that familiar? Do you recognize that? If, if you are sleepy in meditation and you don't want to be sleepy, generally it doesn't feel good. It, 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 it feels heavy, it feels thick. It's like that being in prison. It has that feeling to it. If you can let go of that resistance, not have the idea, this is a problem, and see if you can take the investigative approach, can I be aware of this? If you stop resisting it, a lot of the time this state of mind becomes really pleasant. So that's a little bit of a carrot for you. You know, if, if you are interested in exploring sleepiness like this, you'll get to experience some pleasant states. So exploring that, what does it mean? And for me, what I've often found is that when I let go of that resistance and bring my attention to the actual experience of sleepiness, the feeling of the pleasantness, being mindful of that, recognizing the pleasant feeling, brings just a little bit of energy because we are actually investigating. We're looking at what is this experience of sleepiness. So it brings in a little bit of energy to the the system, which counters the sleepiness. So you may be able to be aware of the, the feeling of sleepiness. It has a bodily component. You know, it feels like the body... The body gets all soft and relaxed and heavy. The mind starts kind of going into a oscillating vibratory space, also very pleasant. <laughs> you may at some point, I mean, if, if there's a lot of sleepiness, I've seen myself able to observe that, and then I'll drop, you know. I'll, okay. That dropping, you can thank your body because your body just woke you up. You know, so there you, you fell. You, okay, now do it again. You don't have to judge that moment of that drop. If you can be present for the, the, all the experience of the state leading up to that drop and then that, that drop of body wakes you up and then just do it again. Rather than fighting the uh, sleepiness, you're actually cultivating mindfulness most of the time. Now, if you find yourself, if you find yourself like this, you know, and you realize that you've been there for five minutes, then it may be time to, to take some other action than trying to be mindful of it. Maybe then it's time to open your eyes, stand up. Actually, at one point, I was uh, exploring this sleepiness in a meditation and I um, I was watching it all descend and then I'd drop and then and then I would watch it again and I noticed that the mind kept going into that zoned out space and at some point I had the thought I could stand up you know so this was the intention to stand that happened and with that thought just that idea I could stand up there was kind of a little bit of a rush of energy through the body, kind of in preparation for standing. 
And with that, I realized, oh, actually I have enough energy now to stay here. I don't actually have to stand up. That happened three or four times where that thought of, oh, I could stand up came and then there was this, a little bit of livening that came into the body. And at some point during this, because I had gotten up at like one o'clock in the morning that day, it was, uh, it was on a retreat and I had been trying to get up earlier and earlier. My, my practice was to get up when I woke up. And it had been 3.30 one day, and I got up, and it was fine. And then the next day, it was like 1 o'clock in the morning, and it's like, oh, I don't know if I can do this, but I decided to try. So I got up at 1 o'clock in the morning, 1.30, something like that. And I was exploring sleepiness. And at some point in that sitting, I did decide to stand up because the mind was just going into that state, and it was not possible to be mindful of it. So that's our, our guide. Can we be mindful of it? If resistance is not present and we, we can be mindful of it, that's fine. We don't have to resist it. We don't have to have an idea that this is some kind of lesser object of meditation. Kind of like the distinction between sound and the breath. You know, we sometimes have this idea that... Uh, you're paying attention to the breath and mindfulness and then there's a sound and we judge the sound. We think, oh, the sound is distracting me. But if instead of that we can recognize, oh, sound, I'm mindful of sound, then our mindfulness continues to be cultivated. Likewise with the arising of sleepiness. If we can be aware of that, mindfulness continues to be cultivated. So we're continuing to stabilize the knowing. So we're stabilizing the awareness. So non-resistance to dullness and sleepiness. You know, this, this also begins to um, kind of go into this terrain of we have ideas about certain states of mind that we cannot be mindful of or we think with certain states that we have to change our mind in order to be mindful. And there's a lot of these that we run into in meditation. And one of my, one of my um, explorations these days is, okay, there's something arising. Rather than having the idea, you know, some odd new state of not, you know, not really being clear about what's happening, rather than trying to change it, it's like, well, can I be aware of this? So... This, uh, the terrain of sleepiness is, is also in this area of is it possible? It's like can you allow mindfulness to begin to infiltrate areas that you've thought previously you could not be mindful of? We can be mindful of almost anything. Actually, in my exploration of this on one retreat, I had to do a lot of lying meditation. I often have to do a lot of lying meditation uh, primar- it's my primary posture on retreat. And in this particular retreat, there was a lot of this heaviness and dullness. The mind kept going into, sinking into that. And, you know, I would sink into it and I'd realize, you know, this is really pulling me away from mindfulness. You know, I saw that it was, it was, it was serving as a hindrance. And yet, whatever I tried to do to change the terrain, you know, if I tried to add some energy to the system or um, pay attention more closely, it was almost as if the mind was on this very narrow um, uh, point, and if I stayed where I was, I'd fall into sleep, and if I did anything, I would spin into incredible restlessness. I mean, the mind just got so agitated as I tried to do something to take care of the sleepiness. And so I got really interested in exploring how can I investigate from the side of sleepiness? How can I expand my mindfulness to be aware in that terrain? And I discovered that the mindfulness can go way further into that terrain than, you can, that, that, than I could possibly have imagined. The possibility I saw of actually watching the mind fall asleep and being mindful into a lucid dream, being mindful in a dream. 
watching the mind do that whole thing. Just, it's essentially watching a transition of consciousness and being aware. And I, 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 could, I could know that I was asleep because I essentially became mindful in the dream. And the, uh, the kind of key for me was that I, you know, my legs started floating. It's like, okay, my legs are floating. I know that I'm asleep here. So you know, just mindfulness of what was happening in that sleep. What would happen then when the mind wandered is that it'd wander into a strange dream. You know, cats coming into the room and messes that I needed to clean up. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is a dream. And then when the mind noticed that, it would just go back to the meditation in the dream. So it was amazing to me how much we can bring, how much mindfulness can be cultivated in this area. So this is, this is encouragement for you. And, and I've found this interest in exploring where, how can my mindfulness be aware of this very thing that's happening? Is it possible to be aware of this very thing that's happening? So, in terms of um, you know what to do when we see we are basically lost in the sleepiness, there's several ways to explore this. Several things, antidotes we can bring. One of the key instructions the Buddha offered around the hindrances is he paired he paired the hindrances. Um, you know, with enlightenment factors, he talked about he talked about uh, you know working with the hindrances, and as the hindrances fall away, the enlightenment factors, which are mindfulness, investigation, energy, rapture, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity, and these. Um, Enlightenment factors, the first one, mindfulness, is kind of said to be the balancer. It, uh, you can't have too much mindfulness. It's, it's the um, thing that allows us to recognize all the enlightenment factors and have them kind of come into balance. The first, the, the first group of three after mindfulness, investigation, energy, and rapture, tend to be energizing factors. They tend to raise the energy in our minds. The last three, tranquility, concentration, and equanimity, tend to be calming factors. They tend to settle the mind down. And the Buddha said that when the mind is sleepy is not the time to cultivate concentration, tranquility, and equanimity, because those tend to further settle the mind down, but rather the time to cultivate energy, investigation, and rapture. Now those three, um, uh, cultivating rapture is not so easy. I mean, so it's, to me, that's something that arises. And if rapture arises in our attention, that gives us energy. Um, but investigation and energy we can work with a little bit. And so if the mind is sleepy or dull, one of the explorations is investigation. Can I bring some investigation to experience? And that is particularly the instruction that I've been exploring first. Investigate sleepiness. Can you bring that uh, inquiring mind, curiosity to the state of sleepiness? If you can't rouse the energy to be present with sleepiness, sometimes being present with sleepiness, it takes some skill. It takes some learning how to do that. Because when we bring our mindfulness to sleepiness, sometimes the sleepiness is a little stronger and the mindfulness just sinks into the sleepiness and we just end up asleep. So I wouldn't give up. I would actually try. You know, have that be the first thing. Try investigation. How does it make the body feel? What happens to the mind? Um, so exploring it that way. If you find that doesn't work so well, then you might try investigating some other experience, turning your attention away from the sleepiness. I've tried this at times around turning my attention to the breath. Um, one of my teachers in Burma suggested this. He says you could, get, you could try getting a little more precise when you're sleepy. Try getting a little more precise with your investigation of the breath. So noticing, for instance, can you recognize when the in-breath begins? 
Can you recognize all the changing sensations through the in-breath? Can you recognize when the in-breath ends? So bringing a little bit more precision to what you're attending to. This brings up the energy. So it can counter sleepiness. It sounds, it sounds paradoxical in a way. You know, how could I possibly look more closely when I'm sleepy? Sometimes we can muster the energy to do that. Not always, but sometimes we can. So that's, that's one thing that you can try. Bringing a little bit more of that directing of the attention. Um, adding energy to the system. You know, this, that's the second enlightenment factor that is recommended. Opening the eyes allows light to come in to the eyes if it's daylight or if you have a light on. You could look at light. That brings energy into the system. It also, I find, you know, sometimes there can be states of sleepiness that are um, almost like dreamlike. You're not actually falling asleep but you're in a space where your mind is going into dreamlike images. Have you had that kind of experience in meditation? So that's a version of this. It is a manifestation of this sloth and torpor, that mind going into that state. It, that tends to be a settling of the mind, actually. It's kind of a manifestation of uh, the mind settling down, you know, Often in our daily lives, our minds are so busy running around doing so many things. And when we start to settle in meditation, those kind of busy thoughts fall away. And it opens the mind to these more kind of dreamlike images, almost more creative thoughts. We can get lost in those, or we can notice that this state is happening. And so if you are in that state... Opening the eyes is one of the most effective ways to, to help with that. You just, just simply open your eyes and, and look down. Because when you're in that kind of a state, you're not really falling asleep. There's not the, the mind sinking into sleep. But um, So if you open your eyes, it will kind of remind you, essentially, that you're sitting in meditation. Just kind of cut that thread of the, uh, the mind going into those images because you're bringing other images, actual images of what's happening in front of you into your mind. So opening your eyes is, is helpful. Other ways to raise energy, standing up, taking a walk, things like that. Another way to help raise energy, if this is happening to you, is to remind yourself that you don't know when you will die. Uh, Contemplation on your mortality tends to be an energizing reflection. Tends to help us wake up. So I am... when I'm in that kind of a state of a dull or sleepy mind, I find a long phrase hard to muster. Um, Like, I will die at any time. That was like too much. But just simply, death was helpful for me. Just using that word. Death helps to rouse some energy in the mind. So the last piece I'll explore um, is around looking at the causes for sleepiness. Sleepiness, dullness can be caused. I mean, it's interesting to explore this in your own mind. What is the cause of sleepiness or dullness? Sometimes it's simply that you haven't had enough sleep. That, it can be that simple. Um, other times it might be, sometimes sleepiness is a strategy for getting away from something unpleasant. The mind kind of having recognized 
unpleasant. You know, sleepiness is pleasant, so the mind kind of naturally gravitates towards a pleasant thing when there's unpleasant happening. So it can be almost a way of avoidance that the mind can go into that. So looking for yourself in your own experience, is this sleepiness a result of something that I'm avoiding? So other hindrances can be paired with sleepiness. Um, Disinterest, boredom, laziness also can be causes for sleepiness. So if you notice, if you recognize that boredom is kind of at the base, you know, you're you're sitting there paying attention to your breathing and it's like so boring. (laughs) And the mind just gets, you know, it just starts to to you know, lose the, the loss of interest, it can go into a dull or sleepy space. So that's a really good place to use investigation. When there's boredom, when there's disinterest, again, my first exploration is what is boredom? What is the actual experience of boredom? What is the actual experience of disinterest? That's my first approach to pretty much anything. It's just mindfulness of what is simply arising. And at times it can be helpful to also um, see if you can, again, you know, conjure up some precision in looking at your experience. So boredom is happening. Usually boredom is a manifestation of not paying close enough attention. If you're bored, it usually um, is a result of kind of being slightly disconnected from experience. It's a manifestation of delusion often that we're not really meeting experience. And this can happen at all levels of, of reality. I mean, we can be bored when we're having a conversation with somebody because we're bored with the conversation, or we can be bored with our work, or we can be bored in our meditation, and we can be bored with paying attention to the breathing. In all of these cases, the boredom often is a result of not really being attentive present for what's actually happening. When we really bring our mindful attention to the present moment experience, boredom tends to fall away. It tends to um, be uh, a non-issue because the mind gets really interested in the present moment when we can be right there with it. So an antidote to boredom in our meditation, if you're noticing boredom arising, not particularly sleepy or dull, but just, yeah, really bored, again, see if you can bring a little bit more uh, precision to what's happening in the present moment. You could bring precision to the boredom. You could also try turning to the breath again. How do I know I'm breathing? How do I know the in-breath? How do I know the out-breath? So seeing if you can, that investigation, the factor of investigation, that enlightenment factor of investigation can be very supportive when the mind is bored, disinterested, or lazy. Another one of the main causes, which I referred to just a few moments ago, one of the main causes of sleepiness or that kind of dull mind, that spacey mind, that the mind that just kind of goes zoning out, a zoned out, that's a good, a good word for this um, sloth and torpor too. Another reason for that is that the mind is settling down. That the mind is actually moving towards concentration. And there's not quite enough energy in the mind to balance the settling of concentration. These enlightenment factors again, concentration on one side, um, um, tranquility on the other side, I mean concentration on one side and energy on the other side. The concentration tends to settle the mind, tranquilize the mind. And if there's not enough energy to balance the concentration, we'll tend to go into that zoned out, daydreamy space. So this is another approach, actually, another thing to recognize. When you notice that kind of dreaminess, let yourself recognize, you know, at least the mind isn't caught in its 
like stories about the past and the future and what I need to do. It's just like th- th- that layer has fallen away. So there, there has been a settling. So allow yourself to recognize that a settling has happened. And rather than trying to... So when we, we're in that kind of a space where the, the, the concentration has begun to settle the mind and let go of the grosser kinds of thoughts and we're in this daydreamy space, if we do to something too active to say, oh, you know, I real, this, is, this is too much sleepiness. I need to do something. I need to stand up. I need to take a brisk walk. You're actually agitating the mind in a way more. It, you're, you're adding too much energy to the mind. The, the, the tuning when the mind begins to settle in concentration and produce these kind of drifty states, just a small amount of, a small amount of energy to help balance it. Because if you're sitting there with that daydream and you're not falling, you're actually not that far out of balance. So a really small adjustment, helpful here. Opening the eyes is one. Interest in the state itself. While I was doing my meditation here um, this morning, I kept noticing the mind going into a, a kind of a a very expanded kind of buzzy state that would feel a little bit like sleepiness were I not really aware of it. And to me, it felt like the mind, like there was a lot of, a lot of thinking that had been going on, and then the mind let go of that thinking. And it entered into this kind of buzzing, expanded space that I could be really present for. It, was, it, was, it felt like a letting go. So sometimes I find that as the mind settles in concentration, or as the mind settles, not necessarily in one-pointed concentration, but just in the stability of mind, sometimes the mind starts letting go of its habitual ways of being, and it enters into these kind of broader, more expansive spaces that we might interpret as sleepiness. But But we might be able to be present for those. And I kept feeling that, and really pleasant, really pleasant experience that I was experiencing. And uh, at some point I noticed, I decided to check in and see, you know, what was my relationship to this really pleasant experience? And I noticed liking. You know, I noticed that the the mind really liked it. And so I acknowledged that, I allowed that, and, and, and that actually helped it feel, I mean, originally the the experience was like feeling pulled into that pleasant space. And when you're pulled into those pleasant spaces, it, it tends to make you drop. It tends to make you kind of get lost in them. And so when I noticed the liking, I could just rest in that space rather than feeling like I'm being drawn into it. So we can explore these and the, uh, the i guess this final encouragement that i'm making here is that to not interpret sleepiness necessarily or this kind of spaciness or zoning or daydreamy space as an indication that the meditation is going off actually these states, these, these, these states of the mind kind of letting go, resting, relaxing, releasing, can be a deepening of our meditation if we can be mindful of them. So, questions, thoughts, comments? And then when you're done, Bill, um, pass it back to the back. So I'm wondering, listen, it's a little like Listening to all the possible causes of the sleepiness and dullness um, is a little like reading the list of possible side effects of a new prescription <laughs> drug. Uh, you begin to imagine that they're all yours. <laughs> um, but I was sleepy this morning. Um, I fell asleep during the meditation. Um, after doing the head bob a couple of times, and I, I do think that it's, um, it was partly because I haven't had enough sleep. But um, what I find more often, and it happened also this morning, is that, um, is that I start to 
fantasize about something or worry about something in the future, and then I don't like that, and then I go to sleep because I can't seem to get a handle on whatever it is I'm worried about. Uh-huh. And in, in today's case, for me, it's a, a conflict with somebody that I have to address, and I... Um, um, and of course, she's wrong, and uh, <laughs> and I have to prove it. Uh, no, I'm I'm being a little facetious, but that's how I've been thinking about it so far. And I need some completely other strategy, but I couldn't get there today. Uh huh. And and you know the what you said about the side effects. You know, think imagining they're all ours. You know, at different times, that you know, we we will have all these various causes come up. I mean, as you pointed out here, so today you are noticing, or maybe you didn't notice at the time. I don't know if you noticed at the time that when your mind went towards worry, it kind of like it kind of like said, "Oh, you know, exhaustion. You know, that's too hard. You know, <laughs> let me just fall asleep." So noticing the causal relationship there, if you can begin to notice that causal relationship, then taking an interest in that, what is it about that you know, that makes you... So there's an avoidance there, right? There's, mm-hmm. the, there's the worry, and then there's the avoidance. And that's what actually was missed in that. You know, it's kind of like the... So there's the worry. You, it sounds like you notice the worry, but then the, the mind's deciding, you know, just avoid... You know, that not liking, the not liking of that um, state of worry wasn't noticed. So that's one place to begin, is just recognizing, okay, this worry is arising, and I don't like it. Not necessarily to say, get rid of the not liking, but acknowledge, yes, this is happening, and I don't like it. If you can acknowledge the not liking, probably it will... Um, you know, just rest in that. Not liking. Yeah, not liking. Okay, not liking. This is what not liking feels like. That acknowledgement will probably keep you from that moving into sleepiness. Um, and then there's the, the question of how to deal with worry, and that's the next hindrance. <laughs> the restlessness and worry hindrance. And I'll talk about that more not next week, but the following week. So, so for now, just notice the not liking. Seeing if you can, in meditation at least, mm-hmm. hang out in the, you know, not, not needing to do anything, at least in meditation, not needing to solve the problem. Can you let go of solving the problem in meditation? Let yourself solve the problem out of meditation. You know, think about it, reflect on it when you're out of meditation. But when you're in meditation, when it arises, recognize, okay, meditation now... I don't have to solve this problem now. Right now, my job is to recognize this worry has arisen, and I don't like it. Hmm. That's my job. Yeah, that's hard because some of my best ideas for resolving my worries have occurred in meditation. Well, you can certainly allow those to happen. I mean, I think what you'll find is that when you allow yourself to rest in that space... The spontaneity of the mind will yeah. produce those answers, that was, that was not a, your thinking about it. That was a step I missed. Thank you. <laughs> and then behind you, yeah. Thank you. I was intrigued by the idea of, of uh, raising the question um, about I don't know when I'll die. And then you sort of answered my question about that, which was, well, that could provide too much of a jolt of energy, which I concluded it possibly would. It, it's, it, it might, yes. yes. I mean, so that's something to... Uh, if, if you see that it takes... If it's too much for this particular scenario, yes. you could use it at another time, you know, yes. because it's a very powerful yes. reflection. Yes. I mean, you know, look, yeah. the, one of the reflections the Buddha, the Buddha says, suggests, particularly when we're quarreling, he said, those who quarrel don't realize that we here must die. When we realize this, quarrels end. <laughs> so, you know, when we're in a space of quarrel, that is an interesting reflection too. You know, that, and that perhaps in that space of quarrel, there's already enough energy that it's not going to, you know, jolt you out of it. But it's a very powerful reflection. Um, my question also was about... Um 
using meditation to calm oneself down for sleep, mm-hmm. which is a little bit different take on this. Sometimes I can be just, you know, feeling really calm and time for bed, go to bed, and my head hits the pillow, and, you know, all these things to worry about come up. And it sort of feels to me like it's not really okay to induce a meditative state at that point in order to sleep. It feels like it's sort of cheating on meditation to do that. So I'd be interested in your comment on that. You know, I I think there's a couple ways of approaching that. Um, I... um, I don't think it's a problem necessarily to use meditation in that way uh, if you're really clear, this is the way I'm using this meditation right now. You know, that it's not trying to be precise. It's, you know, so that it's, it's almost like a different form of meditation in a way. Another approach, and one that I've used, um, is um, when I have that kind of restless mind as I'm trying to sleep, I will actually get into my meditation posture and meditate. And actually, I, will, I may, you know, set a time too, you know, like, okay, I'm going to meditate for 30 minutes or meditate for 40 minutes or something. And um, that process of meditation seems to put the mind into a different state such that when I end that meditation and go back to bed, the mind has let go of whatever that thing was. So I've, I've played with this different ways. I've actually tried, for me, I mean, it, it, it's different for different people. I've actually tried meditating or being mindful, just allowing the mindfulness to come in my sleeping posture. But what I find in that, for me, I mean, it may not be the case for, for everybody, but what I find for me is that... Um, when I try to do that, the mind will, all, will often kind of get pulled back into the, the drama. So using the meditation posture has been very powerful for me. Um, and I, I can try that, and, and I'll, I'll, you know, it's like, okay, well, I'm going to try this. And, and I'll spend like, you know, an hour, or an hour and a half doing that and not falling asleep, just watching my mind go back into the drama. And then in other times, I'll, I'll say, okay, I'm actually going to get up here. It, it takes some energy to do that getting up when we're, when we're in bed. But what I've seen enough times is that if I lie there, it'll be a couple hours before my mind will you know, get exhausted with the worry and fall asleep. You know, it'll get exhausted with that, that drama, and it'll fall asleep. Whereas if I get up and meditate for 40 minutes... I'll go back and I'll fall asleep almost right away. So that's my own strategy, actually. I use the meditation posture and will actually set a time and then, and then go to bed. So you can play with that. Thank you. And it's time to stop. Okay. So thank you for your attention.